Um, so I also want to say thanks to Pastor Shane and his family just for giving me an opportunity to speak. It's like you're giving up, you know, a Sunday. I know that's hard to do for you. Um, <laughs> so I just want to say thank you for uh, just trusting me with today's message and just everything you do for me, for Kylie, your family is just awesome. Um, I just want to show you guys some love. So thank you so much. Um, over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Shane has been speaking on discipleship and how critical it is uh, for us as disciples to answer this call and to fulfill the mission of making disciples who in turn make more disciples, right? And, it, and you know it's funny, uh, I don't know if it's funny, but discipleship is very much in line with real actual parenting uh, of children. Disciple makers are often referred to as spiritual parents. And if we're using the same vocabulary that we've been using for the last couple of weeks, um, disciple makers are in chair four, right? So chair four are your spiritual parents, which means then uh, beneath them are uh, chair four people or disciple makers are pouring into spiritual infants, which would be chair two, and young adults, which would be chair three, right? And so... Um, as we talk about discipleship and how it relates to parenting, you know, this past week, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to celebrate our nine years of marriage together, and we've actually been together for 18 years. We started dating when I was 17. We're high school sweethearts. It's a true love story, right? Um, but we've now hit that mark where we have been together longer than when we've been apart. Right? We've been together for 18 years. That's amazing to me. And um, it's just, it's also just kind of weird that I've now been with this person for longer than I've been away from this person. Right? Uh, and so, also in those nine years, literally the last, the past five years, we've had two amazing children. Right? Uh, Emery is four. I, I made a joke. If you're here on the first service, um, this section is really, really busy um, because my daughter is going from this chair to this chair to this chair to this chair to this person to that person because she loves just making sure she says hi to every grandparent and she's sitting with her aunt and all this stuff, right? And, uh, and so this is a really busy section, right? But we have Emery, who is four, and we have Porter, who is about to turn one here in a month. And regardless of how hard parenting can be, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, it's one of the most awesome things I've ever had the opportunity to experience. It's made me grow up um, as a person, right? You really want to be humbled and you really want to mature? Have some kids when you get married, not, not right away, right? Um, so regardless of how hard it can be, I wouldn't trade it. And as parents, Kylie and I, we have this desire to, do, to be good parents. Um, in turn, who produce good, healthy, and I mean uh, emotionally healthy, uh, spiritually healthy, and yes, physically healthy, but we have this desire to produce good, healthy, productive members of society. We want our children to know that they are loved. We want them to know their value. We want them to be strong and confident. We want them to be kind and sincere to people. Um, we want to help them, as parents, help them identify uh, who they are, their identity. We want them to know their talents, their gifts. We want, to, we want them to be able to know who uh, or what, who they are made for. Uh, I'm going to read that right. Who they are made for and what they are made for, 
right? Their purpose and their mission in life. In essence, as their parents, we want to prepare and equip them for the journey and the path that is ahead of them, okay? And I believe in God's word, it calls this being fruitful and multiplying or bearing much fruit. Uh, what's interesting enough, in order to instill these into uh, our children, it requires a lot of uh, effort and energy and attention to care on our end, on Kylie and I's end. Like, we have to question ourselves because the best teacher is how we are leading by example. They're, gonna, they're going to see and follow more than they hear and listen, right? So they're going to mimic what we are doing more than what we tell them to do. Okay, so Kylie and I, like, we have to be very diligent about how we are coming off to our children, and that takes a lot of time, effort, energy, and attention. Uh, it means setting boundaries for our, for our children. It means allowing our children to explore and discover in a safe environment. Um, it, it means allowing them to experience failure, um, to experience challenge, and to experience difficulty so, so that they can, you can build that resiliency in them when later in life they experience challenge and difficulty, they can handle it, right? Um, when I talk about these type of things, I, I'm a huge Jordan Peterson fan. If you don't know who he is, that's okay, but I love Jordan Peterson, and one of his main topics is um, allowing our children to do dangerous things carefully, okay? So keep that in mind, doing dangerous things carefully, right? Um, we, you know, when, let's hypothetically, if, if, if Emery was climbing on a rock, right, um, what's our first instinct as an adult parent, at least my wife, because I don't, right? But my wife, what's her first instinct? To run over there and grab her, and set her down nice and safe on the, on the ground, right? Um, that's not doing dangerous things carefully. That's removing an obstacle. That's removing a challenge from their life. Doing dangerous things carefully would be, you know, walking over, maybe holding a hand, but allowing them still to experience the challenge that is ahead of them, to climb on that rock without removing the struggle, right? So doing dangerous things carefully. And there's other points of view on parenting. This is something that just doesn't come naturally to me. I often have to, I have to force myself to stop and think about, okay, what's this viewpoint? What's this viewpoint? What's this viewpoint? Because it just does not come naturally. I always have mine in my mind. Right. And so there are other viewpoints in raising children that uh, that are different than what I described. And so one of those is what if we fail to set boundaries? What if when raising our kids, we only show conditional love? Like your my love for you is based on what you do for me. Right. Love with merit. Never challenged our kids. Uh, we never invited them in. We never. Uh, we were super relaxed on the discipline of our kids. Um, what if we, as parents, didn't put in the work required to prepare our children for the path? What happens to our kids? They often grow up unhealthy, malnourished, unproductive, and lost. Right? If we were, if we were neglectful, these are the consequences of being neglectful as a parent. Just as detrimental is another viewpoint, is what if parents are too engaged, right? I am way too involved and engaged in my children's life. There's another, there's, there's a whole bunch of terms floating around uh, for parents. And it's not that, you know, like, in the educational world, it's not that we're making fun of parents. It's just our perception of what we see 
on the educational end and really even in professional ends, right? Um, but there's terms that float around for different parenting styles that we see. One of them you've probably heard of. It's the parent who hovers over their kid and just kind of oversees and, and, and kind of questions everything outside of that kid's life, right? This is the helicopter parent. I'm hovering over my child to make sure that they do everything right, they say everything right, they behave in a manner that I want them to behave, and when they get out of line, I'm gonna kinda like cut that line off, okay? So we have a helicopter parent. In recent years, um, we've increased the, uh, the, the amount of support we give our children, right? And we have this term of a lawnmower parent, okay? Think of what a lawnmower does, we all mow lawns, maybe. Um, but, a lawnmower chops down all obstacles, chops down the grass, lays a path before our kids. And so as a lawnmower parent, I see uh, parents who go ahead of their child, mow everything down so that their child has a nice, easy path to walk on. That seems innocent enough, right? Of course, we want easy, an easy path for our kids. We want them to have better than what we had when we were younger. There's nothing wrong with that. It's what pro what's produced after that, okay? Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Two weeks ago. Just said why, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I, you gotta be able to make fun of yourself. I um, was introduced to a new term, okay? This is a snowplow parent, okay? A snowplow parent. Think of what a snowplow does. Completely wipes everything clear, right? Completely removes all obstacles so that it is safe for driving, right? And then what happens? You guys ever follow a snowplow? What's the snowplow doing? It's laying salt behind it, right? So that you as a driver can have grips and footholds to walk along or drive along that path, right? So as a snowplow parent, we do the same thing. We mow everything, or we, uh, we, we clear the way of everything, and then we leave little footholds so that life just gets that even easier for our children. Essentially, we prepare the way and make it too easy for our kids. And it's done with the best of intention. I want what's best for my child. But there's a threat that comes with that. And that threat is that these children will often grow into adults who are not ready for a path. They're not, we begin to see highly dependent adult children who are relying on their parents to care for them. Adult children relying on parents financially, emotionally, all these different things, right? We see adult parents and individuals who as adults have little desire or drive to seek opportunity. We have a desire to, uh, uh, a in desire, sorry, to contribute to the greater good. And as time goes, these adults often isolate because life just gets too hard and I am, I'm not prepared for the path. And so I'm going to isolate and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be alone. Okay. So what I'm calling this is that we have a failure to launch. We have a failure to launch syndrome, both as we're raising children and in the discipleship manner, the same goes true. If I'm a discipling parent and I'm not preparing my, uh, my, my disciplee or the spiritual child that I'm discipling, they're not ready to launch. We have a failure to launch, right? And so as we continue with this sermon series on discipleship that Pastor Shane's been talking about, I'd like to focus specifically on chair four, the spiritual uh, uh, parent, the disciple maker, and their role as they work with infants and young adults. Uh, before I keep going, I'm going to pray here. All right? So, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, just slow me down. 
I can get ahead of myself. I've already started. Uh, Lord, allow my words to come out clear. Um, speak through me. Um, Lord, and just, just use me today to, to help share a message. Share and pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, I say the person sitting in chair four, but really this is all of our uh, goal as believers in Jesus. And as a calling for each of us, if we go back to the Great Commission in Matthew, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Go and baptize and make disciples, right? So as a disciple of Jesus, I'm called to go and make disciples, who in turn make more disciples. This is our priority as a people of God. This is our top priority. John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, Jesus both taught and modeled that our love for God was measured to the degree in which we love others. As you go and make disciples, do so in love so that people who see you behave Question where that love comes from. You guys are all aware of this. Hey, what makes you different? What sets you apart? You're not like anyone I've ever seen before. You're not like anybody I've worked with before. You're not angry. You're not grumpy. You're not uh, bitter. Any of this stuff. You lead with love. Well, that's because I have Jesus in me. My love for others shows my dedication to Jesus. It's not in the workplace or uh, wherever it is, but it's not, hey, if you feel like it today, or, or maybe if you have time today to say my name to someone, could you please do that? Like, could you do that for me today? It's not like that. He's telling us, go. Go and make disciples in love. His work, as an example to us, was to create a movement of multiplying disciples. In three years, he poured his life into people. He invested in people. He equipped them to do what he modeled. And he watched as their progression went and guided them in their journey, just like a regular parent would do. He behaved like a person sitting in chair four, a disciple maker. And as he left us, the work that he started, and as he left, he left us a model for the work that he started. All right? And what's even cooler is that Jesus turns around and he says in John 14, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. You're going to do what I do. I model that for you. But here, and greater works than these he will do. Jesus is saying, like, you're going to do what I have showed you to do, and you're going to do even more. You're going to do greater things than what I've showed you to do. And I think it comes down to um, what we have here is because we have more time. Jesus states that we're going to do greater works than he. Why? Because his time here was intentionally short. Intentionally short. He knew that if he remained here doing the work that he's been doing, his disciples would fail to watch. They would be adults still relying and codependent on him to do everything for them. Jesus modeled a parenting style of discipleship that set his disciples ready for the path so that they could launch successfully. Time is funny. We often feel like we don't have enough time to do things. 
right? I'm a social studies teacher. I'm not a math teacher. But I can do some simple math here, so let's bear with me a little bit here. So uh, there's 24 hours in a day, 365 days a year, right? So if we look at in hours, there is 8,760 hours in a year, okay? 8,760 hours in a year. Let's say the average person works 40 hours a week. So 40 hours a week times 52 weeks, 2,080 hours, the average work time for a person. Let's say on average, you get six hours of sleep. If you're like me, you have an infant at home, you're not getting six hours of sleep. But let's say you get six hours of sleep for 365 days, you get 2,190 uh, hours of sleep a year, okay? That's, a, that's a, a fourth of your life, by the way, sleeping. If you subtract from the total the amount of hours that you sleep and the number of hours you work, you are around 4,400, or sorry, 4,490 hours. So you have that left over to work. It's a lot of time. You have 4,490 hours left over to work with, to pour into people, to meet with people, to disciple people, to love people, to show them uh, what God has done in your life, to help prepare them for the path, the journey in your life, right? Now let's apply this theoretically to Jesus, okay? Let's say, you know, 24 hours a day for 365 days a year, um, you get 8,760 hours. Let's subtract the sleep hours. Let's say that Jesus was able to sleep six hours a night, all right? He was human. He needed sleep. So for three years, he had 6,570 hours. That means in total, in three years, I know this is a lot of numbers and all that, but in three years, he had 19,710 hours. Total, 19,710 hours in his ministry to pour into people, to disciple disciples, and leave a model to, so that they can re reproduce it. Now, last bit of math here. Let's take our 4,500 hours roughly that we have left over and say for the next 15 years we invest in people. We invest in discipleship. We pour into people, we show them love, we show them, we guide them uh, for the path, right? So 4,500 hours times 15 years, we're sitting at 67,500 hours. We have three times the amount of time that Jesus had in his ministry to do greater work that he prepared us for in ministry, right? Justin, you have three times the amount of time that Jesus had to make disciples, Kylie, you had three thousand, or sorry, three times the amount of time that Jesus had to make disciples. You two need to go and do that in love for one another and for your neighbor. Persian, you've already had three times the amount of time in your discipleship process. <laughs> Continue doing it. Continue doing it. I gave him so much love. I'm going to do it again this time. Persian, he's been doing uh, FCA. For I don't know how many years at Tuslo. He has been discipling people his entire life. He's been doing it for well over 15 years. And I can guarantee I, I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for the small seed that he planted in my life in eighth grade. It took a long time to get here. A long time. But I guarantee I wouldn't be up here. Right? So when I say continue doing it, continue doing it. Don't stop. Keep going. Let's give him a hand. Let's give him a round of applause.
And that gets me so excited. His faithfulness to the call of just pouring into people, showing up, being consistent, and just showing love has brought so many people to an understanding of who Jesus is in their life. And so as Kylie and I want to instill good into our children so that they in turn will do good for others, as spiritual parents, the desire is the same. We want to go and bear fruit, invest in the lives of others that they invest in the lives of others. As parents, we find enjoyment in this. We find enjoyment in watching our children progress through the various stages of life, especially in their infancy. Porter's in his infancy right now. He's learning basic things. Two weeks ago, he started walking, right? A couple weeks ago, he started uh, learning how to feed himself, and so now he's like master at it. He grabs a whole chunk and throws everything in his mouth and scares Kylie half to death, okay? Um, but we find enjoyment in this, the walking, the eating, the talking. Just, just down at breakfast 10, 15 minutes ago, however long it was. My grand, my mother, Porter's grandma, was feeding Porter some eggs from the sandwich. And he said, thank you. He said, thank you, clear as day, he said, thank you. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's such enjoyment in watching that. Um, so even though Emery is out of her infancy stage, she's still going through, progressing through different stages. She's learning to deal with her frustration in a healthy manner. She's learning uh, healthy ways to share. She's learning how to uh, be patient because it takes mom and dad a little bit longer to do things um, now that we have a second than what it did when we didn't have the second, right? It's, so she's learning all of these small little things as she goes. And as these are happening, we get to personally watch the fruit of our labor, both good and bad. Kylie and I are never going to say that we're good parents. Uh, I, I think we're okay. We're doing a good job. They're not dead. Right? Um, but we get to see both good and bad. Right? And so when things aren't in line with how maybe they should be, we have the opportunity to adjust and correct. Correct. We have the ability to prune, uh, if you will. Right? And so if we look into God's word, we see this uh, example in line with discipleship and with parenting and how Jesus modeled this progression. And so in John 15, it says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branch, branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I'm going to stop right there. Um, so we have a graphic uh, that, that goes along with this passage, okay? And so as we talk about the different stages in a disciple's life and the different uh, progression from infancy to disciple maker or a spiritual parent, we see different barriers, okay? And so in this graphic, we have the different chairs that correspond, or sorry, we have the different uh, bearings of fruit that correspond to the different chairs. 
And we also have the barriers that they face progressing from one chair to another and one chair to another. Okay? And so if you take a minute here to study that graphic, you're going to see chair one, no fruit. Okay? So no fruit. This is a seeker who can do nothing to yield a harvest for God. All right? Chair two, we have some fruit. Uh, the believer begins to grow in knowledge and harvest. Right? Chair three, we have more fruit. The worker begins to put the knowledge into practice. I'm beginning to use my hand to go out and share. Uh, and then chair four, much fruit. We, we have a disciple maker. And so using this passage, we see that according to Jesus, the ultimate goal for all of us is to move along that spectrum to, to the much fruit level. Our goal is to be over here. Okay? And there is a uh, definitive progression of fruit bearing at each stage. We're met with different barriers. We are not going to become a believer and then all of, all of a sudden bear much fruit. It takes time. Okay? It takes uh, a series of breakthroughs and a series of maturation over years. Right? So not every believer is going to bear much fruit right away. And so looking at this graphic here, the first barrier, so between the tree and the apple... We see that the first barrier is sin. Right? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Some translation says cuts off. Um, I'm not a person who studies a lot of Greek and Latin terms. Um, I look at my footnotes and I see what, they, what word they use and I look at the definition of that and I've and I got to go with it, right? So the Greek word here used is Arrow, A-I-R-O, arrow, which means to lift up or to move to another location. So what we get is that every branch that is not in Jesus in the sunlight, we are li is lifted up and placed in another location. Um, any gardeners in here? Anybody uh, make a garden, raise a garden, all that stuff? Tomatoes, cucumbers, all that stuff. Great. Love gardening. I'm definitely behind in my gardening. Oh, that's okay. Um, so, sin cause us to fall out of the sunlight and if we are left there too long we kind of shrivel up and rot so let me let me give you an example here. i do this with my tomato plants i do this with my cucumber plants right all the time if i see a vine or a shoot that is kind of falling off falling off the trellis or the support that i give it and it's laying in the dirt what do i do well, I kind of lift it up, I examine it, I kind of clean it off if necessary, and then I, what? I place it back onto the trellis so that it gets more light. It gets the sunlight so that it can continue to grow and bear fruit. If it's left in the dirt for too long, eventually that branch or that shoot or that vine will wither and it's no longer going to bear fruit, <clears throat> right? I need to keep it clean and clear and lift it up into the sunlight so that it eventually bear fruit. I need to rescue it into that sun's light, right? If I do nothing, it'll wither and be unfruitful. Jesus was pretty clear. We can do nothing apart from him. We can't bear fruit. We can't bear good fruit if sin is controlling our lives. Not if we have sin in our life. We're, we're not perfect individuals. But if it's controlling our life, then it's hard to bear fruit. Sin doesn't change our status as a Christian. Right? I, I'm still a believer in Christ even though I deal with uh, pride issues. I'm still a believer in Christ even though I'm not always the, the happiest person. Right? I still have things that I'm working through and struggling through. 
right? But sin doesn't change my status as a Christian. It affects my ability in the amount of fruit that I bear for other people, right? Um, the second barrier, right? So if I can get break through that barrier of sin, and I'm starting to bear fruit, and I'm working on that sin, and I'm dealing with it, and God's grace is pulling me through, I'm sitting in chair two. I, my goal is to continue to be over here, so I need to continue moving forward, right? Well, that second barrier is stuff. Stuff. Good things, oftentimes, is that stuff. If we look at that graphic and we continue to progress from no fruit to fruit, we begin to see Christ's followers draw closer to God's calling. However, many get stuck in this part of the maturation process because in order to produce more fruit, there's a season of pruning that we must go through. Right? And so the barrier is stuff. The breakthrough of that barrier is pruning. As any gardener will tell you, Pruning is always better for the plant. What happens after we prune it? Anybody? We get more fruit. After you prune a vine, after you prune a branch, you get more fruit. Or the, the, the plant itself bears more fruit. And so the seasons are, of pruning are often difficult. They demand our submission to it. We have to go through it in order to progress. The reason people get stuck in this part of the process is because there's a great fear of the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen after that season of pruning is over. I don't want to go through that season because it's tough. It's difficult. I'm not ready to bear that. I'm not ready to go through that. I like my stuff. I like the things that I have. Life is good. I'm content. Whatever it is that you say, it's there. But I'm happy with my stuff. As we've heard, Jesus loves you right where you're at. You can sit in your stuff. But he also loves you too much to like stay where you're at. And so in order to get you to where he wants to get you, he's going to prune some things out of your life that are good things, but they're not God things. They're not God things. They're not. They're holding you back from the life that he's calling you to. Right. And so as humans, we get caught up in these good things of life that can often be a barrier to grow in Jesus. And sometimes those good things make us question, like the pruning of those good things make us question. Uh, we begin to listen to the voices in our head. I'm a good person. I do a good job. I work hard. I'm faithful. I read my Bible. I pray every day. These are all good things. Good things. God's not going to prune those things out. He's going to prune the things out that distract you from Jesus, distract you from himself. We begin to question. We begin to doubt. We begin to seem like peace feels like pain. We become dis, uh, are uncomfortable and discombobulated with, with everything, right? The fear of the unknown becomes so great that eventually we become spiritually disabled. We just we kind of rock up and don't do anything. Uh, Dan Spader, who's kind of the author of the Four Chair stuff, he says this, Sometimes we as the big church accidentally encourage people to stay in chair two. We make the Christian life a lazy boy with cup holders, with soft seats, with a footrest. And we make chairs so comfortable that no one wants to move on to the next chairs. We challenge people to come and see, but we never challenge them to take the next step. As a result, they sit there, they soak, and if left sitting there soaking for too long, just like the vine or the branch on the plant, they sour, become unfruitful. We have a problem. We have a failure to launch syndrome here. In the church today, we have spiritual children who choose to remain under the care of others because, one, things are good while I stir the pot. I like where I'm at. And two, the uncertainty of the path ahead of me is crippling. I'm not prepared for the path. 
And so I guess the question then uh, to be answered is, why do I need pruning? Why do I need good things out of my life? These are good things that God has blessed me with. And why do sometimes these things have to uh, be changed? Well, the answer is very simple. It's not an easy one to go through, but it's to bear more fruit. It's to be more fruitful and follow along that progression as Christ wants us to do. And so as we break through that stuff barrier and we allow the pruning process to happen in our lives and we continue to mature in Christ, then we're sitting at chair three. And our goal then is to continue into being a disciple maker. But as we continue to be a disciple maker, there's still another barrier that we have to overcome. And this one's difficult. This one's satisfaction. Satisfaction. Jack, that sounds like great stuff. Why should I be, why is satisfaction a barrier? And so have you ever, have you ever heard the term or the saying uh, that too much of a good thing is a bad thing? Yeah? No? Maybe? So? Sitting in chair three, a position of more fruit, we can become caught up in the joy of the harvest, right? We can get satisfied with all the fruit that's coming our way that we get stuck in this position, the satisfaction of this position. However, my satisfaction isn't the goal. Christ's satisfaction is the goal. And he's going to be satisfied when I'm finally accepting the person that he wants me to be. That's when he's going to be satisfied. He loves me. He loves me for me and who I am and who he's made me to be. But he is not going to let me stay here with things that are holding me back from him. Right? So to push through to chair four, something awesome happens here. We begin to see the fruit of our labor and begin to see the source of our satisfaction. So when we can push through that satisfaction and we can understand that it's Jesus who we find rest in, not the satisfaction that we find rest in, then we break it through to that, that final stage. The barrier is just sitting in satisfaction. All the fruit that I have, the breakthrough is found in abiding in Jesus. In Christ, we find great rest. We find great security. And so, as we look at these chairs and the barriers between these chairs and the idea of not having any fruit or not bearing any fruit to bearing much fruit, the, the progression, right? We want to be on the chair four side of much fruit. As I begin to close, the question becomes, what do I do with this information? We've been talking about four weeks for discipleship. Shane's been talking about all these chairs and uh, not a seeker into a believer, believer into a worker, worker into a disciple maker. Now Justin's talking about all these barriers between these chairs and everything. What do I do with this? I think the answer really does depend on where you are at in the progression from chair to chair. We have to honestly self-evaluate where we think we are at. What chair are we currently sitting in? What barriers are holding us back? And having an understanding of that, of where we're at, will only help us determine what our next step is. If I'm sitting in chair two as a new believer and I'm, I'm focused on me and me and me, what's holding me back from going to that next step? What good things am I being distracted by that... Maybe God wants to see me push through those good things so that they can become God things. If you are currently in a disciple-maker role, if you're pouring into somebody, if you're meeting with somebody, if you're helping along the faith journey, you should be asking yourself, for the people that you're investing in, what barriers are those people caught up in? Are they still in their infancy? 
Are they caught up in any unconfessed sin that's holding them back from pursuing Jesus? Are they distracted by the joys of life? Are they getting caught up in good things over the God things? Are they focusing on their comfort and their blessings over finding rest and security and satisfaction in Jesus? Jesus progressed his disciples. If we look at that model, Jesus progressed his disciples from seekers to friends in the matter of three years. We've already covered that in 15 years, we're going to have three times the amount of time that Jesus had to invest in people, to move them from believers to, or uh, sorry, from um, to spiritual infants to disciple makers, right? And as we invest in others, to put, and we put on that spiritual parent hat, the relationships we build truly become friendships, deep-rooted friendships, good friendships, right? True friends are important for so many reasons. But the most important reason for deeply committed relationships is to have somebody who's going to challenge you and invite you into the process of being the best version of yourself than what you see in your head, right? For me, that has been my wife. For the last 18 years, she has challenged me to be the best version of myself than I can see in my head. I only have such a glimpse of what I perceive my life to be. She has a whole other vantage point of what she sees me being, of the, of the man that she sees that she married and wants me to be, right? So for the last 18 years, she's challenged me to do better, to be better, to pursue better, right? And so that's what true friendship is. Jenny Allen just re released a new book not too long ago here. It's called Find Your People. She talks about true friendship and the importance of it. Um, she says this, give permission to certain people to speak truth into your life. Look for people who will call you up higher, not those who will let things slide. I've noticed a trend that suggests we prioritize acceptance and tolerance at all costs. Regardless of the decisions people are making, the behaviors they're manifesting, the beliefs that they're clinging to, or any of the other thousands of things that may be leading them to harm. If we listen to society, society tells us, sorry, that we have to put tolerance at the tip top of our list of requirements to be a good friend, right? I might not agree with you, but I don't want to offend you, so I'm going to tolerate what you are doing. I don't want to be rude, I don't want to be uh, off-putting, and so I'm going to let you do what you are doing because I want to be a good friend, right? And so we have this mentality of to each their own, I'm not going to step in, I'm not going to interfere, or honor your truth, you have your truth, I have my truth, honor your truth, or the whole you do you think, hey listen, you do you man. All of that is nonsense, right? Why? Because the last thing you and I need are people who do nothing more than co-sign for our stupidity. If I'm about to careen off a cliff, I'm about to drive off a cliff, and you choose to stand there and go, yeah, cheer me on, we've got a problem, right? I don't need acceptance when I'm being a fool. I need help. I need somebody to challenge me. I need somebody to pull me out. And I think we all do, right? And so, as a good friend, we need people who will challenge us, this is what a loving relationship looks like. Our good Heavenly Father loves us too much to let us stay where we're at. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, He challenges us to imitate Christ as we pursue genuine, authentic relationship with His people and fulfill what He has called us to do. As disciple makers, 
Our goal is to help people progress along their faith journey and to break through barriers that are holding them back on that journey and do so in love so that we don't have a failure to launch syndrome. We want to prepare them so that we have a successful launch when we let them go. I appreciate uh, what Justin had to share with us, appreciate him and his life. And um, yeah, one of the things that I thought about this morning as we went through the first service, and it's the same now, is that we are really blessed to have young people here at this church that God has gifted for, for ministry that we get the blessing of being on the other side of. And so I think of Billy, I think of Van, I think of Justin, and a lot of our other young people. This is not normal for a church her size. I talked to a lot of pastors, and I think they would love to have some people that could fill the pulpit for them or a person who can just come up and lead worship uh, for their church in, in the absence of the other people. So uh, really thankful for that. One other thing I want to mention to you is that uh, Justin spoke of Jim in his role at FCA um, at Tussaw. And I want to tell you that I was judging the Tuscala competition, which is a competition for like outstanding senior boy or girl. And um, I was one of three judges, and one of the judges was the principal at Tussle when I was there. And he said, uh, one, uh, one of the candidates mentioned they're involved in FCA, he said that when he came into the principal role at Tussle, uh, the culture was really, it was not good. Um, but he credited FCA for turning the culture of the school around. And I just thought that was so neat to hear. And um, one of the things we got to be careful of, so like with Jim, you may say, oh, I could never have the impact that Jim, you know, had. And, and that's not true. The whole same Holy Spirit that is in Jim, if you are a Christian, is in you. You could, yes, we're gifted differently, but you can have the same impact in people's lives. Jim would tell you that. He was faithfully present in relationally and faithfully present in word and deed sharing Jesus with his life. And the Holy Spirit obviously empowered him to do that, worked through him to do that, then to make impact on people's lives. You can, you can do it, right? Um, if you're interested, and I hope you are, in learning how to be a disciple maker, no matter where you're at in your journey, if you're, you're even a seeker, or if you, know, you are actively discipling somebody, I want to invite you to, we're going to start having what I'm calling Disciple Making Summits. So our first one will be June 26th at 8 o'clock on Zoom. And what the, the format will be, for the first 10, 15 minutes, we're going to share an important tool or concept in terms of disciple making. And then for the remainder of the half hour, the, the next 15, 20 minutes, we will have conversation about it. And how do we use this? And what challenges are we facing? The reason we're doing it on Zoom is I want everybody to have access to it no matter where they're at, even if they're on vacation. Um, I want to remove that barrier of travel. Um, so Zoom for a half hour, once a month, we're going to be talking about disciple making. So probably be around 8 o'clock because that's when most people on Sunday evenings, they don't have anything going on at 8 usually. So um, yes, thank you, Justin.